Big Finish for the love of stories. You're listening to the Big Finish podcast, release date Sunday the 26th of March 2023. We would not want to cause your brave robot any trouble. Well, he's had enough trouble recently. We passed through a strange cloud of sparkling particles on the way here that messed up his robotronic control valves real bad. Ah, yes. The cloud of a billion lights. We have never known what that is. Strange that it should affect a robot. Guess we'd better do our best to avoid it on our way home. On our way home. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, you. I'm Benji Clifford. He's Nick Briggs. This is Big Finish. Audiobooks, audio drama, and this podcast, all for the love of stories. In a moment, Benji and I will be chatting about, you know, stuff. (sighs) Following that, the good review guide, known to some as the good review guy. Reviews, reviews of Space 1999, Earthbound. Eagle 5, this is Koenig. Turn around, Paul. It's not safe. Then we go behind the scenes with Blake's Seven Origins, a collection of seven premium hardback novelizations of the first series of the classic BBC sci-fi TV series from the 70s by great authors. We talk to acclaimed writer Paul Cornell and range editor Peter Angelides. Um, I'm Paul Cornell and I've novelised the first two episodes of Blake Seven for this new box set. Following that, it'll be time for listeners' emails sent to podcast at bigfinish.com and your electronic mail messages will no doubt be delighting and challenging us once more. In our also available segment this week, it's Fireball XL5, cloud of a billion lights. So glad you did the voice. I was going to ask if you would. <laughs> a brand new audio episode of the classic 60s Supermarination Space Adventure series created by Jerry and Sylvia Anderson, launched on Friday the 31st of March. Hello, I'm Jamie Anderson, and we've just finished recording Fireball XL5, Cloud of a Billion Lights uh, by Nicholas Briggs. Then the Randomoids Electrotron will once again be delivering a random release with a 25% discount wow. deftly attached to it by Big Finish content manager Jackie Emery. Double wow. We have no idea what it'll be because it really is totally random. So Nick will now insert a clip from the future. Life's full of difficult decisions for a wandering time lord, isn't it? And finally, as always, we round off the podcast with a free 15-minute drama cheese. (laughs) (laughs) A drama cheese, that's going to be... That must be be Camembert. (laughs) Well, anyway, as well as the cheese, there'll be a tease. And this week, it's Fireball XL5, cloud of a billion lights. Tied up like this, you will no longer be able to interfere in our... Great purpose. There's no need to tie it so tight, Robert. Our arms and legs will go numb. Your numb limbs do not concern me. So, Fireball XL5, cloud of a billion lights. You, you recorded that, didn't you? You were the Recorded engineer. and did the post on it, yeah. yeah. Uh, great fun. I loved doing that because it was recorded in such a... It was like a play. We did. I think we did two run-throughs. All, all in recorded in one time. Go. Yeah. And it was just such a lovely, there was such an energy about those recordings and that time. Everybody was just having so much fun. Yes. And I really do think, listening back to it, because I had to, uh, I was mastering this, um, listening back to it, you can really feel, I think, everybody is just having so much fun. There's a good energy, isn't it? And Jamie had his uh, electro larynx, didn't he? 
He, I remember it. Didn't he say that he got it from a hospital in India from yeah. like eBay or something? That's right. And it was like a tenth of the price of what I paid for mine, and his is better. <laughs> I'm not bitter at all. I anyway, thought he did a really good job, actually. He, he was, was, really, and he, was yeah. he was playing Rob, Rob the robot, wasn't he? Robert? Yes, he was. On our way home. Because, of course, Jerry Anderson used to do the voice of the robot, so we thought it would be fun if Jamie did. Yeah, Something he weird goes, happens. He goes evil, doesn't yes, he, in the, yeah. in the second half of it. I think what's really nice about this release, from my perspective, was um, it was really fun to use the original music. Yeah, yeah. Because that was sort of... It's weird how these things it add such legitimacy to something when you just use the cues that we used. And I got a real taste of, I guess, what it kind of would have been like at the time where this would be what you had and you have to make it work. And yeah. there are some things that you can do, like slowing cues down, like they would have done as well using tape machines and stuff. Slowing things down to just make them last in the, in like the scene or to make something sound sinister, you just turn it, slow it down a bit. Yeah. Um, it was just really enjoyable to do. Very belt and braces. Also, our 8th of March art competition. Um, do, have you, were you aware of this? The winners have been announced. Superb artwork of Amelia Pond, Missy and Leela. And their artwork will be in the next edition of Vortex, our free uh, digital magazine that goes that you can just download from the site. It's out on the 1st of April, and that's no joke. That's uh, exciting. Yeah, now we've got the winners. Uh, Kate Claxton, she did a fantastic... <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was the sound of a Claxton. Yeah, it's not Claxton, though, is it? Is, it? is, that, a, is that a band? No, that's, that's the band is also called the Claxons. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, Kate. Uh, <laughs> anyway, anyway, Kate, you did a lovely picture of Missy, which I particularly liked. And uh, the quote from Kate was, thank you to Big Finish for choosing me among so much talent. And by the way, the competition was to actually not use digital artwork, actually, you know, paint it, draw it, do it physically just to see because since we'd done some of that for our covers you know with the Jekyll and Hyde and the first Doctor adventures the Demon Song Chris Naylor had done brilliant artwork which you know actually is painted uh, it's always great to create artwork of my favourite show said Kate I completed my entry of Missy in acrylic paint and chose her character as I believe she's one of the standouts of the entire show and Michelle Gomez steals any scene she's in to write um Alan Peacock did a, a drawing of Leela and he says, I chose Leela because she's such a well-written character, superbly played by Louise Jameson. I loved her Eliza Doolittle relationship with the fourth Doctor and how bold and brave she is. And I'm so glad she's been able to continue through Big Finish. And Alan did a lovely sort of uh, very detailed colour pencil drawing, I think. I'm not an expert on these things, but it was beautiful. And a really realistic expression on uh, Leela's face. And Callum Weston uh, says, I find Amelia Pond's character at this point in her life to be incredibly interesting. The idea that she was waiting so long and being told by so many that the events of the 11th hour were all a dream was such a deep emotion to explore. And uh, Callum used uh, a paint and it's quite an impressionistic um, uh, technique, but it's beautiful. But you'll be able to see, we have put the artwork on the Big Finish site in the news section, but you'll also be able to see it in Vortex. And also some of the verdicts of some of the judge, of, of which I was one of the, the judges, you know. Did you wear one of those wigs? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Not that kind of judge, Nick. Oh, right. Um, uh, high, I wasn't a high court judge. Is it lovely, though, that you know, it just shows how creative human beings are, that everybody has different approaches and ideas and yeah. thoughts and methods. I think it's so, so that's what the beauty of art. 
It is great. It's great. Uh, one last thing I want to say in our chat here is that, uh, Benji, I'm very grateful to you uh, coming to the podcast today because I know you've got the mother of all colds. And you're, <laughs> and, and yeah. you're being heard uh, through the benefit of me editing out all the coughing and sniffing. Oh, I'm so sorry, on. everybody. Just when I've recovered from one thing, I've, I've succumbed to something else. <sighs> so hopefully then it'll mean for the rest of the year I am... Uh, clean as a whistle and sharp as a thistle fingers crossed but um it's not about me it's about the good review guide which finds the latest positive comments about big finish productions to help recommend them for you and as promised this week we're looking at space 1999 earthbound from big finish productions space 1999 earthbound Computer, what's the source? Paul. Incoming messages, Commander. Messages? More than one. Incoming communication. Computer, cut the sound. I got a bad feeling about this. Eagle 5, this is Koenig. Turn around, Paul. It's not safe. It's an uncharted object, about 2,000 miles from us, roughly six miles across. Maybe a warning beacon, hazard ahead, keep clear. Or a distress call, pleading for help. Either way, we need to find out. It's like a forest down there, an anemone forest. Let's suit up. Okay. Auf den Lastwagen steigen! No, no, that was my grandfather! John, Delta One's plates are folding across the gaps, closing up. Activating laser turret. Nice moves. You better hurry, though. Computer signaling it's time for all remaining personnel to report to deep level safety zones. Activating defense shields. Alpha defense shields activated. It's a simple choice. You either submit to the rule of one man, or you dare to believe that there is another way. You mean he's going to get himself killed out there to save the rest of us? Gravity on the reef, 1.3. Temperature, 5 degrees C. The cost of all of us being out here, facing the unknown, not knowing if we'll survive, if we even have a future, it wears us down. It occupies every moment of our thoughts. Humanity's return to Earth. The reclamation of our home world. So help me God, the next one of you sons of bitches who doesn't do as I say will force me to abandon my Hippocratic Oath with this thing. And your navigational controls are programmed to reach Earth. That is our primary directive. Huh. That should be ours too. Unfortunately, some of us seem to have lost the will to achieve it. Alpha, if you can hear me, this is Carter in Eagle One. I'm en route to you at maximum speed. Whatever it is, hold on. Oh, stop playing games. This isn't a game. Big finish for the love of stories. Thought I was helping. Thought I was helping. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I see that no malice was intended. Was intended. But how can you be sure any of it is? 
Well, real. Just go to bigfinish.com and type Earthbound into the search pane at the top to find this one. Well, first up, setthetape.com. Lee Thacker. I won't make the joke about Mr. Thacker, my teacher from school, because I do that every week. No, you've um, sort of mentioned it now, so I, I think, sort of have. I think yeah, we're, we're yeah, well if, past that. Yeah, was, Lee, are you Mr. Thacker? Uh, any fans of Space Nineteen Ninety Nine? I suppose Lee is, because he he is Lee Thacker. Well, I assume <laughs> I don't know. Any fans of Space Nineteen Ninety Nine will recall the rather distinctive and haunting climax to this episode on telly, but Briggs makes a creative choice to go in a slightly different direction. I'm over here, in a slightly different direction. Goodness, that's, that's, that's completely different to what I imagined. The joy of having a classic show being rebooted is seeing the ways that it can be made to feel distinctive and different, avoiding any slavish retreads, while at the same time not deviating so far from the original source material as to alienate devotees. It seems Big Finish's take on Space 1999 is so far managing to get the balance just right. And that's four stars. SciFiPulse.net, Razor Devereaux says the supporting cast is excellent throughout. That said, the character-driven story is a showcase for the regulars. Timothy Bentink is pitch perfect as Simmons. He is brilliant. Yes, really brilliant. So brilliant to have an annoying character who just gets up everyone says. <laughs> he has a lot to do. What's more, he's relatively uh, he he's given relatively little time between Simmons's emotional shifts. Those shifts are seamless from beginning to end. Given the cliffhanger, I can't wait for Space 1999 Volume 3. It is coming out soon, actually. 9.5 out of 10. Where did we go wrong, Razor? Where did we go wrong? <laughs> 0.5. God, every time. Well, Indie Mac Ian McArdle says, In another satisfying box set, the audio version of Space 1999 again benefits from the pacier treatment that this modern adaptation provides. The 1970s show could be glacial at times. <laughs> As ever, Ear Meadow's sound design is on point to evoke the feel of the series, and Joe Kramer provides an absorbing score. This is most absorbing. I've been absorbed by the score! <laughs> that was the, the, the squidge of sound. Uh, heightened emotions form an essential component too. Longing looks are a tough sell on audio, as attraction between John Koenig, Mark Bonner, and Helena Russell, Maria Theresa Creasy is tackled head on. Mm. Given where the story concludes, it seems certain there are plans for more. Whilst I've been deliberately circumspect to preserve the surprises, the decisions taken here open up the story in interesting ways. So I really hope so. Mm. Yes. Well, it is the, the third box set is very interesting. Dragon's Domain. It's out. I think it might be out in May. I think that's what I want to say. But I'm not even going to check, so I could be wrong. Uh, on the Twitter plateau, at Mark Learns says, at Big Finish, absolutely loving the hashtag Space1999 adaptations. You have managed to capture the spirit of the original while giving it a fresh take. Uh, you'd have a buyer here if you ever produce more. OK, it's a deal, at Mark Learns. Radio detectives have listened to the first two episodes. That just sounds like like some kind of like... Yes, the radio detectives have listened and they've come to this conclusion. Emergency! Uh, radio detectives are in the house! <laughs> it's just these two men going through all the paperwork, all that. Yes, yes, uh, radio detectives here, yes. Uh, 
No, I, what have we found? No, nothing. Nothing in that <laughs> box. No. It reminds me of you know in uh, Day of the Daleks where there's that alert signal that comes across when it's going to be nearly World War Three. You know, radio detectives are <laughs> listening to all your productions. Well, I'm, I'm jolly glad they are. What do they think? Well, what they say about the latest Space 1999 is what uh, it says. It what impressed me is that they took two plots that generally come off as silly and really making riveting drama out of it. That was so, my aim. Thank you to the radio. Stop detect. here. It's silly. It's silly. <laughs> it's very Monty Python. At Ernest Malley says the new Space 1999 set from At Big Finish is excellent. Uh, three cracking stories with characters given depth. I know BF is best known for Doctor Who and Who spin-off stuff, but the non-Who stories, Callan, Starcop, Space 1999, have been fabulous. Well, yeah, Callan. Cal- yeah, all of those, actually. I mean, I'm immodest because, of course, I mostly write the Space 1999 ones. And I'm script editor. So uh, even if it's not written by me, there's a good deal of me in it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> a good slice of drama cheese there. <laughs> Briggs, Briggs branded drama cheese. <laughs> oh, if only I could eat cheese. Well, Steve Southart doesn't mention cheese in this, okay, uh, but goodness. he does mention different things. It says it my spoiler-free review of Space 1999, Volume 2 from Big Finish. Disney Ident, yes. No. Ah. What? No. Phew. No. When's Volume 3? That was the review from Steve Southart, which I thought was very, very accurate, actually. What? What was the business about the Disney ident? I think he's referring to the 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 ident, which is now on things at the start, isn't it? You know, it doesn't sound like Disney, does it? Well, it's very wholesome, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Anyway, that's it from the good review guy this week. Thank you for those lovely reviews, and I hope that some of you listening will think, "Goodness me, I must go back and buy Space 1999 Earthbound." Anyway, more soon. <laughs> Still to come on the podcast, listeners' emails sent to podcast at bigfinish.com. Our trip behind the scenes with Fireball XL5 Cloud Lights. Plus the Randomoids Electron, totally randomly giving you a 25% discount on an audio adventure from Big Finish. Randomly. Startling value. I am quite startled by that value. It startles me. Yeah, every time. But first, let's go behind the scenes with Blake Seven Origins, a limited edition of seven hardback novelizations of the first series of that classic space opera from the 1970s. It's a really beautiful item. So if you're a Blake Seven fan or even just a fan of jolly well-written science fiction, grab your copy before they disappear from our warehouse forever with the billion lights. Uh, I was lucky enough to talk to acclaimed writer Paul Cornell and Blake Seven range editor Peter Angelides. But first, here's a little reading I recorded from one of the books. The cell was suddenly full of the sound and light of an alarm. Blake turned at the same moment Stannis and Restall did, as troopers carrying shock batons marched in, led by an unmasked lieutenant who was barking orders in a strong colonial accent. All right, you lot, listen to me. You will form a single file. His troopers started pulling individuals out from bunk spaces and forcing them into a line. You will move out of here into the embarkation channel. The embarkation channel leads to the ship. You move in single file into the ship. Your watch will guide you to your assigned seat. 
That is the last time your watch will be useful to you, other than as currency. One of the troopers grabbed Stannis by the arm and shoved her into line. Restall stepped quickly in behind her, managing to avoid all the grabbing hands, and Blake felt the best thing would be for him to do that as well. If rescue was still on its way, he didn't want to be unconscious when it arrived. How long before liftoff? He asked the lieutenant as he marched past. You in a hurry to get there? Don't worry, whispered Stannis. Another alarm sounded and they started to move along a dark corridor and into the brilliant white of the embarkation zone. The clear plastic tunnel led up a slope into the bulk of the transport ship, a modified freighter. According to the plate on its prow, its name was the London. It was clearly a civilian ship because nowhere did it bear the arrow and circle markings of Federation Space Command. So it was a contract job, a regular hire by admin. A ground crew was busy priming the rocket boosters that would help the craft rise swiftly enough out of a gravity well to achieve escape velocity, something time-distort drives couldn't do. Rocket fuel for takeoff and landing now made up about 80% of the otherwise minuscule cost of interstellar flight. Blake still felt strange at having such thoughts in his head. He was breathing hard as he marched into the ship. If release was to come, it had to come soon. Part of him, a greater part of him, had started to see what was ahead as an opportunity. The air in the ship itself was pure and clear. Of course it was. The guards had to share it with the prisoners. The seats in which the prisoners were to sit for takeoff were aligned from port to starboard across the ship. Blake found that his was right beside a window looking out over the engines at the rear. He looked around at his fellow prisoners, found and memorised the locations of Restel and Stannis. The rest of these convicts had not all come from the same cell. There were individuals here he hadn't seen before, including a handful with skin tones other than pale white. That was something he hadn't seen before, even in shows. The lieutenant appeared in front of Blake's seat. You different to everyone else. Fasten your harness. Blake realised he'd been lost in thought. Lost in the idea that he had a duty now. A duty to the world and people he was about to be taken away from. He could rally people. He could save people. Soon, he would make a start. I'm Paul Cornell, and I've novelised the first two episodes of Blake 7 for this new box set. So, how did this come about for you, Paul? Peter Angelides dropped me a line and asked me if I'd like to contribute, and I asked who else was doing it, and when I saw what a wonderful lineup of novelizers let's call them they're all very experienced in the business of spin-offery i said yes i'd love to join in with that hello i'm peter angelidis i'm the range producer at big finish for blake 7 and i've been uh, commissioning and editing this series of books and so how did it all come about for you the blake 7 origins project our big boss jason hay gallery had been visiting the the nations in um California and had come across some of the original scripts that Terry Nation had written before they got into the hands of uh, Chris Boucher for script editing. And there were some interesting differences in them. And given that we knew that the 45th anniversary of the original series was coming up in uh, the, the first 
part of this year, he was quite keen to do a, a collectible set of novelizations for um, for the uh, the Blake Seven first uh, set of episodes, and it seemed like a too good a chance to miss. He was uh, very keen to uh, do something which was a bit more of a collectible than just putting out uh, some soft copy books, for example. So they were all commissioned with the idea of them being a boxed set uh, written by people who'd been uh, known for being enthusiasts for Blake Seven and for writing novelizations and so on. Presumably you liked Blake Seven. <laughs> yes, I, I loved it from first seeing it back in the day. And I particularly like that quality of the first couple of episodes, which is why I wanted to do those. They, they're slightly different to the rest, I feel. They feel different. And so I thought that's what attracted me back in the day. So that's what I'll go for. Who picked the writers? I picked the writers. I had a, I had a, a short list of people and then a longer list if I couldn't get my first set of, um, of people that I wanted to go for. And to my delight, I got all of my first choices. Even better, um, having established that not everyone could write the first book, because everyone wants to write the first book, I did ask each of them which were the ones they fancied writing, because we knew we were going to do them in pairs. And also, to my delight, everyone got their first choice which was um, almost too good to believe. But it's true. So this is quite a different experience for, for a Blake Seven fan reading this. This is not going to be like watching the episodes again. There's there's a lot in there that's new for them. Well, uh, in terms of actual narrative material, um, we do cover exactly the same. All, actually, I was going to say all the scenes that, that you saw television right here, but they're not. I'm, I miss out a couple where basically I think they needed two minutes and so people reiterate stuff they've already said in a different way I, I just snipped a couple here and there but largely it's everything that's on screen it's just lots more context lots more world building lots more uh, character build up so it feels like a, a proper a proper novel a proper um, novelization and um it's it's gritty. I I really wanted to include all the grit. I really wanted that um, that feeling from episode one of immense release from this scary, stultifying future. Just go to bigfinish.com to find this one. Type Origins into the search pane at the top to find this great set of Blake Seven adventures, published on Monday the twenty seventh of March. Yes, make a note of that, make a note of that. And in you can diary. hear... In the diary, yes, yes. Uh, and you can uh, hear more from range editor Peter Angelides and writer Paul Cornell at the end of this podcast after our Fireball XL5 drama tease. Meanwhile, it's time for... Ahem, listeners' emails... <laughs> You don't have to wait to the end of the podcast to hear these because they're no. here right now. Phew. That's the beauty of the way that this podcast has been structured since the dawn of time is, you know, you, you, you know where you are. And if you want to send in your podcast, you, can, you send it, don't send in your podcast, send in your emails <laughs> to uh, podcast.bigfinish.com. Yes. If you'll send in your podcast, we'd be here all day. We'd be First listening up, to it, wouldn't we? Yeah, well, yeah. we would, yeah. This yeah, is, which reminds uh, me, where's Tony Filer's podcast? He said he was going to make a podcast. We God, Tony, it. get on with it. Get on with it. Otherwise, uh, the axons, the axons will be getting you. <laughs> the whole thing is just him going on about the axons are coming. Constantly. <laughs> Let's distribute axonite. 
You've been saying that for five weeks now on regular podcasts. Just get on with it. But Daniel has written in. Yes. Um, subject is, hi there. Hi there. Hello, Nick and Benji. I only want to pick up in something from an email a couple of works ago, it says here. Uh, I think I you mean weeks, somehow. I think you mean weeks, yeah. yeah. I'm assuming that the writer meant extended universe and not European Union. Because <laughs> when... I didn't know what EU meant. <laughs> not uh, uh, when he was talking about the best thing in EU. Yeah, it must be expanded, yeah. extended universe. The, the best thing in the European Union. Um, <laughs> I'm also curious how the new leadership of DW, or what does that mean, what... Um, Directors' uh, wellies yes, uh, definitely will that. reflect on the stories. Uh, maybe we get more references, like in Night of the Doctor. Uh-huh. Maybe a Big Finish original monster will make the Juno to the screen. Uh, I also want what to know... What does that know, mean, the Juno to the screen? I guess Journey, maybe, I don't know. Is that like a known abbreviation <laughs> for, for that, Journey? I have no idea, Nick. I know nothing. Okay. Daniel, let us know. Anyway, go on. Well, I also want to know if you could add timestamps to the podcast. I tend to skip some parts of the podcast, and it's not very easy to find the beginning of a new segment, like listeners' emails, for example. <laughs> Greetings from Austria, Daniel. Well, Daniel, uh, what do you think about timestamps? They are useful, but they do encourage people to skip. Yeah. It's, a, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Exactly, really? exactly. It's a bit like, listen, you guys, I'm not interested in everything you say, so can you just skip to the interesting bit? <laughs> Which is fair enough. Uh, I just think um, I have a very busy Friday when I write and record and edit the podcast, and I think that extra element might br- be the straw that breaks the camel's back, don't you think, Benji? I think you might be right. I think you might be right. So, you know, unless there's a huge groundswell... Uh, that says people won't listen to the podcast unless there are timestamps in it. I'm going to le- I'm going to park that one for now, Daniel. But if anyone can suggest some really easy software that will do it, um, I'm up for it. You know, I used to I used to put timings at the beginning of the podcast, but again, you know, that was a whole extra process. That's, a, that's another another kettle of fish, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I, th- I think what I'm doing here is what the government doesn't do, and just sort of saying, you know what, that's going to take too long, and. I haven't got the time to do it because I'm really busy. And that's the government never do that, do they? You know, any government they always sort of go, "Yes, we are looking into this, and it's a huge priority." And they're all thinking, "We we can't do this. There's not enough time. There's no time. We we can't install rubber plants into everybody's houses. I mean, it's just just too much." Next up, Nissa McKinnon, uh, one of our favourites and regular podcast contributor. Uh, the subject line is a great episode. Hmm. To all who have the love of stories that we enjoy and love. Beautiful um, sentiments there, Nissa. Nissa, uh, when I heard Heather, I thought that we were doing, uh, you were doing a recast and having an extra special episode for International Women's Day. That's right, you know, a couple of weeks ago because Benji was ill again. He's a sickly <laughs> child, isn't he? Um, we I never uh, get ill normally. No, I know. This is these are abnormal times, clearly. Um, Heather, a very short notice, Heather Challens, my executive assistant and a prolific producer at Big Finish, uh, uh, stepped in at the last moment. And, uh, you know, she's not one of those people who likes to grab the limelight. So, it's uh, you know, I really appreciate the fact that she did it. But it just happened to coincide with the International Women's Day thing. Now, I could have done, you know, the kind of thing that maybe governments do and claim that it was all planned. And yes, absolutely, you know, but I had to admit that, you know, even though we were covering International Women's Day big time, 
it was just a coincidence that Heather happened to be the uh, co-presenter. But, I mean, a happy coincidence. I think it worked really nicely. In a way, it should have been all women doing it. So I apologise for being a man. I'm sorry that Benji is not feeling well. I hope he recovers quickly. Well, the answer in this is he did recover and then he got ill again. <laughs> we'll be publishing oh. a chart of Benji's illness curve in the next <laughs> few weeks. Uh, yeah, just look dear, out. Oh, dear. Uh, bigfinish.com forward slash Benji is ill. Sponsored uh, by Benelin. <laughs> uh, other cough medicines are available. Uh, not only do I appreciate the conversations with the stars, but I appreciate that I get to see Nova stars that also help everyone make a great story. I'm not familiar with that term. What does Nova stars mean? You're speaking to the wrong person, Nick. I, I know not. But I think she means behind the scenes people. Anyway, let Stars me know. of people that drive Vauxhall Novas? I don't know. Yeah, other uh, makes of car are available. Uh, there are so many people that make you run so smoothly. That's true. When I'm running, there are lots of people helping me. Smoother, Nick, they say smooth. <laughs> uh, and I'm glad that we can have a listen now and then. Absolutely. Well, you know, on the International Women's Day thing, the women throughout Big Finish were talking. Um, including Emily and Deanna in the Big Finish Warehouse, which is a fascinating little video. Uh, look it up on YouTube. It's great. I, I hope to hear more of those who are willing to share their experience in your company, but I respect that some may not wish to. That's true. A lot of people just want to get on with their work and uh, you put a microphone or a camera near them, they go, go away, in that voice. Uh, until next time, thank you, Nissa McKinnon. Lovely email there. Always lovely. we got one more, actually. Oh, uh, another for the canon debate. Uh-oh. Uh, dear Nick, Benji, and possible guest. You are a possible guest. <laughs> um, they, uh, this has been talked about to death, so if it doesn't make the show, I hope it adds to the conversation regardless. It's made well, the show. It has made the show, yeah. I know having a sort of order to things is nice, as I am a lover of continuity, but the most important thing to remember is this series is about time travel. Yeah. Uh, we have seen the Doctor's own timeline change in front of him several times in the TV show alone. Just because these stories conflict doesn't mean they can't or still happen. As for the behind-the-scenes sound, I actually enjoy it, but I understand that everything has its time and changes will occur eventually. So if it goes away, I will miss it, but know that it will always be in past releases to enjoy. I love that we're just... We're, that, that, that could be like, you know... We could be talking about anything there, but it's just the sounds. Like, yeah. I miss that sound. Well, we're all about the sounds, aren't we? Just in case people don't know what Tivis is on about here, they're talking about the behind-the-scenes extras that we do, and there's this noise that sort of begins it and links the sections that uh, someone last week made a very compelling case saying, you know, they find uh, that um, it, it's really horrible noise for them to hear but I said I said let's debate it so please people please do write in and let's talk about it and you know uh, I hate the idea that it's upsetting people but I don't want to upset people by removing it as well do you see where I'm caught there between two stools it's a tough it's a tough one you know who knows we'll do a vote we'll put it down to a vote we're not going to have a vote <laughs> stop over promising like several governments we'll put it out to a hypothetical vote that never happens <laughs> yeah, and, that'll we will do make, it, yeah. and we will make the decision yeah. um, it's we'll an interesting one ah! Tivis here says I apologise for my atrocious grammar even by American standards best wishes Tivis sent from a canine unit that crashed through my roof oh dear <laughs> expensive to mend 
I yeah. don't know what's more expensive. I'd, the I'd, incredibly intelligent robot or the roof. Well, there you go. Oh, yeah, well... Write in and let us know which is more expensive. <laughs> um, I um, I didn't notice any particularly bad grammar there. Yes, yes, uh, no, I didn't think it was too bad. No, we, we had no, no trouble with it. Thank you. Anyway, that's all for the emails this week. We look forward very much to reading more next week. <laughs> we do, you know. We do. As you regular listening lovelies will know, the Randomoid Selectatron is getting into gear as we speak, oh. preparing to offer you a 25% discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release. Quite a saving. Mm. We'll also be teasing you with the first 15 minutes of Fireball XL5, Cloud, Cloud of a and in anticipation of that, let's go behind the scenes with that outrageous slice of Super Marination style audio. Hello, I'm Jamie Anderson, and we've just finished recording Fireball XL5, Cloud of a Billion Lights uh, by Nicholas Briggs. And uh, when I say we, obviously I mean me, but I'm also joined by Steve Zodiac. Hi, Steve here. How are you? Uh, and your real name too, I suppose. Oh, that. I'm Mark Silk, um, professional voice actor and, and massive Anderson fan. Hi, Jamie. Hello. Uh, also, Dr. Venus. Hello, Jamie. This is Dr. Venus here. And I think that Fireball XL5 is real boss. <laughs> okay, Venus. Um, Gen- Genevieve Gaunt here playing Dr. Venus and likewise, massive Anderson fan and a fan. I'm also joined by uh, <laughs> Professor Matic and um, the voice of the billion lights, trillion lights. Which one is it? You'll correct me in a second. It's Who are you? It's the trillion lights. Yeah, it's, it's Nick Briggs. Hello. Oh, and, I, and I'm here uh, taking over from my late father playing Robert the Robot with my... Um, What's it called, Nick? Uh, Electro-larynx. Yes, that's it. Wow. This thing. Hello. That. Um, Very nice. And uh, this that's is... so good. Thank you, thank you. Uh, this is the first time I think there's been a new episode of Fireball XL5 since 1963. So it has been some time. Now it's 2021. Robert, can you hear me? I guess we should start, Nick, with the process of you actually creating a brand new story for Fireball XL5. Uh, how on earth did that happen? <laughs> well, it <laughs> happened because you asked me to do it, Jamie. Right, well, that's uh, a great answer. Moving on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's what happened, was it? Or maybe you said you, that's what you wanted to do uh, for yep. uh, an extra feature on a, a network release. And um, and you, I think you said, is that something you'd be happy writing? And, uh, and I said, yes, I, th- I think so, actually. And then we talked about the authenticity of it and how, you know, we wanted to keep it, give it that sort of um, homemade uh, children playing and making up a game as they went along feel that perhaps mm. I could outrageously say that some of the Fireball XL5 scripts had. You know, it's not high concept sci-fi. There there was usually, a, you know, a sci-fi concept in it, but it was mainly about escaping and trapping and shooting at people and diving for oh, cover yes. and being tied up and all those things that, you know, could have been in an episode of The Lone Ranger or something, you know, very much that, that way of thinking of adventures. Because I think I probably would have gone a bit too sci-fi. So you, you told me not to be too clever, which is quite nice. So I disengaged my brain a little and uh, 
And also, I love Fireball XL5 and watched it as a kid and have watched it over the years off and on. And, you know, I watched another few episodes and just got myself back into that mindset. And I, I hope it delivers, you know, that and uh, for everyone. Plus a few, you know, maybe unintentionally funny things. Unintentionally in inverted commas. <laughs> We have had a few laughs today recording it, uh, both intentionally and unintentionally, it turns out. <laughs> and then we shall return to Earth and take over the human race. <laughs> Gee, I never thought in all my days that I'd hear a robot laugh like that. Mark Silk, you've been recently also playing uh, Troy Tempest. So you've taken over a couple of Anderson heroes uh, in the same way that uh, yeah. actually Genevieve has, has taken on a couple of roles and Genevieve will come to those momentarily. Uh, so, Mark, I don't know whether Fireball XL5 crossed into your radar originally. Oh, it did, yeah. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. The only thing we haven't done yet is, OK, Venus? And you say, OK, Steve. Can we, can we just do that? Because we haven't done, OK, okay Venus. OK, Steve. Okay, right, Steve. let's go. OK, let's, let's do this. So here we go. J Jamie, as Mr. Anderson, could you cue us in, please? Uh, yes, here we go. Fireball XL5 intro for Venus and Steve and cue. OK, Venus. OK, Steve. Right, let's go. Hey, we did it. Well, yeah, we'll definitely use history. that, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll have to. That That's the production. Yeah, that's Don't fantastic. worry, Professor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, it, I mean, I'm a yeah. Five or XL five did, did um, ended up being part of my childhood because they um, they played a whole load of reruns on ITV when I was at school. And I kept, I had a VHS tape dedicated to Fireball XL5 and a separate one dedicated to Stingray. And I made two compilations of, of uh, the different shows. So yeah, it, it did enter into it, but I, uh, uh, big, big fan. And of course, the sa the sound of, of Robbie the Robot and the sound effects were recorded at my home city of Birmingham, uh, where your dad, Mr. Anderson, Jerry Anderson, would come to Birmingham and uh, stick a bucket on his head, do the voice of Robert, Robbie the Robot, and they'd all, uh, John Taylor, Gene Taylor, and your dad would fall around laughing for most of the afternoon, <laughs> saying, on my way home. Very much like we have done today, really, to be fair. I mean, as a fan of the shows, of course, it's, it's a thrill for me to be performing this, so thank you so much for bringing me in. Uh, but to hear to hear uh, Matt as Professor Bonkers and to hear <laughs> Venus, it's so accurate. It's just, it's just an absolute pleasure just to listen to everyone else. Oh, completely. I mean, like, it's a complete throwback joy. Yeah, you've absolutely nailed it, Nick, it, uh, as, uh, as Professor Matt. Oh, cheers, mate. Well, you too. I, I just, um, it, the, the whole mathematic thing comes from uh, my friend Tim Keeble, who's an artist who's also, he's done some illustrations for Anderson Entertainment, you know, for the supercar. Yeah. Uh, DVD release and he's a big Anderson fan as well and we always used to sort of say you've got to check the space McGrath was our, our favourite little catchphrase <laughs> you know we yeah, always yeah. used to have a chortle about how so much of the technology in XL5 seemed to not relate to reality in any way <laughs> and remember just go to bigfinish.com and type XL5 into the search pane at the top to find this rather wonderful slice of vintage sci-fi action released on Friday the 31st of March
I deliberately didn't put slice in there because I'd already. I deliberately. Said slice. I don't know why I said it. I, I, I realised as I said it, but again, <laughs> I, I had to do a sort of. I just had to commit. I don't, I, I, it's sorry. Fine. It's fine. My my brain is. Uh, He's I think ill. I'm just. I think I'm just so used to saying it. I think we say it enough, don't we? Right now, before anything else, here's a preview of Wild Time Beyond, released on Wednesday the 29th of March. Here's Katie Manning to explain about Iris Wild Time by that writer of legend, Paul Mars. Welcome to the ongoing adventures of that transdimensional adventurous, Iris Wild Time. It's an absolute pleasure to be back with you here again at the start of another romp through space and time with everyone's favourite auntie and her best friend, Panda. Here we are again, aboard the time-travelling double-decker bus, the number 22, which is still, and forever, bound for Putney Common. This time we find Iris with a whole new crew aboard her rackety home from home. Firstly. There are a number of humans she has picked up from Darlington in the northeast of England. One of them is Simon, a youngish fellow who has recently inherited an amazing place known as the Great Big Book Exchange. Although sitting at the heart of that splendid labyrinth of used books has always been his idea of heaven, he has been distracted by the possibility of a life of adventure with a certain drunken cosmic rat bag he met at someone's party. His best friend Kelly isn't quite so convinced that travelling with Iris is a good idea. Kelly is sceptical about the whole business, but Kelly has her own problems. Just go to bigfinish.com and type wild time. That's W-I-L-D-T-H-Y-M-E into the search pane at the top to find this one. And remember, it's released on Wednesday the 29th of March. Write that down. Any minute now, we'll be drama-teasing you with the first 15 minutes of Fireball XL5. Cloud of a billion lights. I'm actually saying cloud of a billion lights in case you're not hearing what I'm saying because I'm saying it in such a stupid way. <laughs> well, in the meantime, though, it's... The Randomoid Selectatron, where we randomly select a big finish release and offer you a 25% discount on it. It's not going to be... That, it would be weird if it is Fireball XL5. We're not giving you a 25% <laughs> discount on something that's coming out next week. This week, sorry, sorry. Okay, what do we got? Well, it is, uh, it's Doctor Who 207, uh, You Are the Doctor, and other stories. Oh, yes, this is uh, a, a multi-choice sort of... Um, yeah. Uh, what do you call it? Yeah, it's... Kind of it's choose your own, isn't it? Yeah, choose, choose your, own, your adventure. own adventure. And John Dorney wrote that particular story. Uh, it's quite interesting. Also, there's Come Die With Me by Jamie Anderson, <laughs> uh, The Grand Beetlejuice Hotel by Christopher Cooper, and Dead to the World by Matthew Elliott. It's a seventh Doctor and Ace um, adventure, uh, well, set of adventures. And here's the trailer. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Doctor Who, you are the Doctor. Life's full of difficult decisions for a wandering time lord, isn't it? One way there's peril, another there's danger. That is the sexiest thing I have ever heard. An old country house, a scream, an ever-decreasing number of dinner guests, a murder mystery. Is the ship running low on rations? Oh no, there's more to go around since everyone started dying. I thought I heard a scream a moment or two ago. Doctor, there's no need to worry, it's... 
and soon it will be your turn to play. The accused will now confirm they confess to any and all crimes with which they are about to be charged. How do you plead? You were trying to help! The accused has confessed. Let the prosecution commence. Okay. Sinister moaning from nowhere. Ooh, I really hate these spooky old places. This is mad! I haven't killed anyone! What exactly am I waiting for? Same thing we're all waiting for, Doctor. Death. Make the right choices or you will die! And where is this professor now? Gone, gone, gone. gone. Big finish. We love stories. Well, you can read some writer's notes in this one and if you go onto the website and click backstage. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lovely picture there of um, Jamie Anderson, a Dalek from uh, the Dalek movies, and uh, and Sophie Aldred as well. Pretty cool, eh? Jamie Anderson with Sophie Aldred and a Dalek, seconds after he was asked to write Come Die With Me. <laughs> <laughs> Literally seconds. Well, there you have it. Nice. Uh, what I'm going to do is, uh, if I can flick around from one bit of my computer screen to another, I'm going to send this information to Jackie Emery, uh, who's the content manager at Big Finish, and she's going to uh, put this off alive from Sunday when the podcast comes out. But while I'm doing it, I'm just wondering whether, Benji, could you, I mean, I don't know whether people are used to this, uh, could you remind them how to get this incredible 25% discount in the style of Fireball XL5, whatever style that might be? Well, gee, Nick, that sure is nice <laughs> of you to ask me. <laughs> say, head to bigfinish.com. Okay, Steve. When you're on there, go to podcasts on the podcast page. Uh. <laughs> oh, yes, and click read more. And when you're on read more... <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> I think that's... Is that Professor Matt Matic? I think that is Matt Matic, yeah. Professor Matt Matic. <laughs> you better get to speech, McGrath. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Do you um, know, I beat Frank, Frank Spencer. Frank... <laughs> oh, Frank, not Frank Spencer. Frank um, Skinner. I beat Frank Skinner. Uh, to that part, you know, because he really? saw that we were going to do Fireball XL5, and he said, "I want to play Professor Mathematic." I oh, said, "I'm already no. doing it, mate. I'm already doing it." Ah, oh. I can love imagine. that he loves can, it though. What yeah, I can, I can just hear Frank doing it, and I, I, I think he's volunteered to play some other um, Anderson character. It's got to anyway. be done. It's Sorry be to done. interrupt. You were explaining. No, no it's quite very. Uh, go to bigfish.com slash podcasts. Yeah, yeah. When you're on there, go to the podcast page. Yeah, yeah. Uh, click read more. Yes. Uh, where were we? Um, and then the <laughs> click here, it says in the paragraph underneath us, and enter the code BUCK UP. That's B U C K U P. Um, and then you will be on your way home. On your way home. Much better, thank you. I just like to apologise. That was very subpar. For, for I have high standards for myself, and that was not my best effort. But well, I, you're I not am, well, are you? I'm He's not, not well. well. Yeah. He's not well. Oh, you know, dear. it's it's sometimes, sometimes you just don't quite hit nail on the head. Um, but hey ho, that's how. If you could decipher that absolute shambles, then you will be able to get twenty five percent off. So it's well worth doing. Wow, that was brilliantly done. <laughs> Uh, I've downloaded the trailer so I can edit it in and everything. It's like it's like I've planned this. It was a lovely choice as well. Uh, great stuff. Next week's podcast features the fifth Doctor Adventures starring 
Peter Davison. Yeah. He's the fifth doctor, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, Conflicts of Interest with two great dramas by John Dorney. Conflicts of Interest. Cornflakes of Interest. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pretty crunchy story, but don't forget, just add milk and you'll soften things up. Uh, That's why it's always best to add milk to John Dorney as well. Softens him a bit, yeah. Jonathan Barnes, he, he comes. Pre softened. <laughs> That's just yeah. sounding weird now. Anyway, a not to be... pack it. <laughs> what? <laughs> conflicts of interest. <laughs> no conflicts included. Uh, there you go. That's that's next week's pod podcast. I nearly said pod fast. It's not like a podcast where nobody eats. <laughs> nobody listens to it. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might be the case. Write in and let us know that you're listening, please, please. Well, if you are listening, thank you so much. The Big Finish podcast is presented by me, Benji Clifford, and him, Nick Briggs. Nick also wrote, produced, and edited it. And don't forget, uh, we usually mention Stephen Noonan, our first doctor. Uh, We haven't mentioned him, so sorry about that. Uh, And both Benji and I did this for for the the love love of stories. And finally, on the Big Finish podcast, Fireball XL5, Cloud of a Billion Lights. Although it's not really finally. Don't forget that after this tease, you can hear more from acclaimed writer Paul Cornell and Blake Seven Range editor Peter Angelides. Okay, Venus. Okay, Steve. Right, let's go. us. They're already five hours overdue. Where is Fireball XL5? That's it, Matt. Thrust seems to be back up to normal now. Any idea what that cloud thing was? I'm running the figures back here now, Steve, but so far, I haven't a clue. I've never seen anything like it before. 
a cloud of sparkling particles, and that sound pulsing almost like an electronic heartbeat. And what I want to know is, why would something like that affect our engine so badly? It had a pretty bad effect on Robert too. Is he okay now? Reckon so. Just making the final adjustments for his reactivation now. Yeah, that should do it. Robert, can you hear me? I can hear you. <laughs> what a relief! You're back with us, Robert. Back with us. That's just swell, Matt. Well done. I'll just set him on automatic recalibration. It'll take a while, but he'll soon be right back to normal and good as new. Okay, Matt, but hang on, everyone. We're about to enter orbit of the planet Zednot, and we're already mighty overdue. Mighty overdue. That's right, Robert. Matt, you'd better get that isogas ready for dispersal. Right on it, Steve. Citizens of Zedmort, we are saved! Fireball XL5 is here! We are almost in position, Steve. Those volcanoes are looking pretty dangerous. We'd better get that ISO gas deployed as soon as we can. Say, you're right, Venus. Professor, how's it going? Everything in position. Opening lower bay doors now. <coughs> bay doors open. Preparing to release isogas. Gee, those volcanoes are mighty angry and real burning hot. Careful, Matt. It's another eruption right beneath us. <coughs> I'm holding on, Steve. But can you steady the ship? We're doing our best, Matt, but the blast waves are affecting our stabilizers. Well, just hold her as steady as you can. I'm releasing isogas. Venus, re-establish lateral control. Got it, Steve. I'll give us full power green on retro boosters. Matt, are you okay down there? Matt, come in! Matt! Oh no, citizens. One of the brave earthlings has fallen out of XL5. Will he fall to his fiery death? Or will he hang on for dear life? Steve, Venus, can you hear me? I've slipped through the bay doors, and I'm hanging, hanging on, but I can't keep a grip. My stars, I think I'm gonna fall. I'm done for. One of us has to get down there and help him. We can, Steve. With the shockwaves, Fireball needs two pilots. If one of us leaves, we'll crash into the lava below. Firing retros again. But we can't just let Matt fall. And what about the people of Zednod who are about to be smothered in lava? We've got to do something. Matt, Matt, can you hear me? 
I'm sleeping. I'm sleeping. Something's grabbed hold of me. What? What's going on, Matt? I, I, I'm being pulled up again. I'm saved. 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 Say, that's Robert's voice. He saved me. Robert's saved me. But I thought he was recalibrating. Recalibration completed. That's incredible, Robert. You did that in record time. You're the best robot friend a man could have. Friend. 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 Say, I hate to break up the party, guys, but hadn't you better get on with releasing the isogas to stop those volcanoes? Sure, Steve. Right away. Isogas releasing now. Isogas away. Isogas away. Isogas away. I so gas away. And that's it, citizens. The incredible gas released from Fireball XL5 is freezing the lava and calming the deadly power of the volcanoes. And it is with the greatest of pleasure that I, Tang Dit, benevolent leader of the Zednaut people, award you, the brave crew of Fireball XL5, with these volcano pearls as a token of our unending gratitude to you for saving our lives. Gee, they're beautiful, Tang Dit. Real boss. They sure are. Real beauties. Like they contain the fire at the volcano, but they're stone cold. We also understand that it was your robot who saved you, and made it possible for you to save us. We have never given such an honor to a mechanical creature before, but we would like to, with your permission. Sure. What do you say, Robert? Would you like a volcano pearl? <laughs> I'd say that sure is a yes from Robert. <laughs> then, Robert, allow me to present you with... <laughs> Gee, Robert, what's wrong? Malfunction. Malfunction. Seems there's something a bit unexpected in these pearls that somehow interferes with Robert's robotic functioning. Oh, poor Robert. That's a real shame. Guess we'll just have to put it on a plinth for you and keep it on display at a distance. Of course, we would not want to cause your brave robot any trouble. Well, he's had enough trouble recently. We passed through a strange cloud of sparkling particles on the way here that messed up his robotronic control valves real bad. 
Ah, yes. The cloud of a billion lights. We have never known what that is. Strange that it should affect a robot. Guess we'd better do our best to avoid it on our way home. On our way home. <laughs> <laughs> Everything seems a-okay with Robert's piloting skills. I left him up there in full control of the ship. I've seen him looking at his volcano pearl plinth. Not sure if he's admiring it or worrying about the effect it had on his circuits. Well, he's fine now, that's the main thing. And since I managed to plot us a course around that darned cloud of a billion lights, he won't have any more trouble to worry about. Say... What's that, Matt? Will blow me down. That's the danger proximity indicator, isn't it? It sure is. What's the danger? I know for a fact there aren't any planets out in this sector. Hmm. The readout's coming through now. Hmm. I don't like the look of this. Guess I'd better check the space McGrath. Say... Isn't that the light signature of that cloud of light waves that messed with our engines and Robert's circuits last time? By Jingo, it is. They must have shifted position to follow us. And they're heading straight towards us. Super fast, fellas. I better get to the nose cone before we... Oh! 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 The sparkling lights are everywhere. We gotta get to Robert. The engines are malfunctioning again. And if he loses control, we could plunge right into a supernova. Let's go. Robert, Robert, you look in bad shape, fella. I'll see what I can do. Let me access your inspection plate. Say, what happened? The cloud of a billion lights has vanished. And the engines seem like they're back to normal. You all right, Matt? That was some kickback from Robert's inspection plate. Like a massive electric shock. Robert, you okay? Yes, I am okay. More okay than I have ever been, humans. What? His voice changed. Robert, what's happening? I have fulfilled my full potential. What do you mean by that? What's happened to your voice circuits? Cease your ridiculous questions. What's gotten into him? I think I know. Look, it's the cloud of a billion lights inside Robert. Say, he's full of a billion tiny lights. How's that possible, Matt? Search me, Steve. This is something beyond Earth science. You are correct, Earthling. And now you will obey my commands. Wait a minute, Robert. 
You have to get checked out. There's something wrong with- oh! Oh. Steve! Robert, you punched Steve. Correct. That was the first of many such punches if you refuse to obey me. I never met a robot with such an effective left hook. Guess I'll just have to teach you a lesson, Robert! My hand! Robert's glowing all over. Seems he's protected by some kind of power force field. This electrical energy gives me the power of life and death over all of you. Now, go to the rear section while I set course for my new home planet. We better do as he says, folks. That energy he possesses is right off the scale. And what was the process of adaptation? Um, well, I took a look at Terry Nation's uh, earliest versions and Chris Boucher's rewrites of them and tried to put some of both into the finished product to be informed by the earliest drafts. Um, I very much wanted everything to work together because this is one novel that covers the first two episodes to make the whole sweep of that into one story to give that a beginning, middle and an end and um, I, I very much wanted to give it a grounding to make sure everything worked you feel lots of tensions between the two different approaches of, of Terry Nation and Chris Boucher and I wanted to sort of smooth everything out. One of my great difficulties was that one of the main characters pops up later on in Blake Seven, and in that Blake Seven way, um, his opinions and characters seem to have changed hugely next time we see him. So I wanted to set that up. Um, he is um, apparently duplicitous uh, prosecutor who gets um, the heroes of the first episode killed at the end of the first episode and um, spoilers for decades ago and um, by the time we next see him he's rather moved on to the side of the rebels so I wanted to very much make that part of a, of a master plan on his part that took a bit of doing and also I gotta say the science fiction writer in me I had to deal with some of the um, the spaceshipy stuff. I know I shouldn't. I know it's space opera, but being able to see a battle up ahead when you're travelling faster than light speed and gradually catch up with it, and having having shock waves come through space from the ba that battle. Basically, we're just at sea. We're on a galleon. Let's just say we're on a galleon, okay? But um, no, I, I I tried very hard to. Um, make all that in a bit more science fictiony and um i i really loved having to work with this material the characters the way that that chris boucher basically creates villa and sort of villa is the home of boucherness and you can kind of feel him when he gets hold of villa he thinks ah okay that's the way in and um, that really does uh, inform everything. And um, yeah, uh, also just giving Jenna, who was my favourite when I was a kid, um, the space pirate, glamorous space pirate, and pilot, of course she's going to be your favourite. 
Um, I really wanted to put her right in the middle of the action and um, to make the moment she and Blake meet to be kind of the start of him putting a crew together. Um, there's also there's also some really complicated stuff in the, in the first episode. Um, I mean, I don't mean to criticise because this is the foundation of something which has lasted for such a long time and delighted me as a child. But you know, Blake is a um, a terrorist who has had his mind reprogrammed and been given another identity. And he's famous. He's a famous terrorist who got a following within the dome. And then they let him loose under that new identity into the general population of the dome. He must have people coming up to him all the time saying, hey, are you that famous terrorist? And so we actually have that in, in this and have him programmed to kind of shrug that off and um, be forever going, well, that's odd. And, <laughs> but... Um, and there's also I, I got to play with the, the the political stuff, which was always my favourite stuff in Blake Seven. The where the uh, Turin authorities, where the dome sits with regard to space command, how that all fits together. You know the 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 the, the feeling of a distant president who's starting to overreach, and that they they've got a judicial system that's meant to work on a fair basis, but isn't quite anymore and is just starting to show the cracks that people feel they're on the edge of edge of a descent into tyranny while, while actually they're already right in the middle of fascism i mean all this yeah no had certain has certain resonances so this is quite a different experience for for a blake seven fan reading this this is not going to be like watching the episodes again there's there's a lot in there that's new for them well, uh, in terms of actual narrative material, um, we do cover exactly the same. All actually, I was going to say all the scenes that that you saw on television right here, but they're not. I'm, I miss out a couple where basically I think they needed two minutes, and so people reiterate stuff they've already said in a different way. I, I just snipped a couple here and there, but largely it's everything that's on screen. It's just lots more context, lots more world building, lots more uh, character build up. So it feels like a, a proper, a proper novel, a proper um, novelization, and um, it's it's gritty. I I really wanted to include all the grit. I really wanted that. Um, that feeling from episode one of immense release from this um, scary, stultifying future. So from what you're saying, I, it sounds to me like it will also work for people who have never heard of Blake Seven or never seen it or, or thought they didn't like it even. Oh, enormously. I mean, this is, uh, of course, a way in. It's the first episode. And... Um, I, I like that we get by the end of episode two, we're in the Liberator and we're off. I remember that being a huge moment because I thought as a kid, oh, is this going to be all oppressive all the time? But they'd already cannily put a big picture of the Liberator in Radio Times with the cast all staring up at it. And, and they sort of immediately say, oh, no, we're going to be off having space adventures. So the end of episode two where they actually break away and head off as the title sequence says as well from episode one um david maloney knew what he was doing um 
that was such a, a wonderful moment for me that I'm glad that's what the book leads up to, and that's what we we zoom off to do at the end of end of the book. Um, I tried to find a way that Jenna can learn how to how the controls of an alien spaceship in an alien language in literally five minutes. But no, she's just that good. Have you got anything to add? <laughs> um, there's some there's some really quite subversive stuff in here that Peter Angelides has been kind enough to let me get away with about you know current the current world the real world and current politics and I should add something I've been mentioning cheekily in my newsletter for quite a while this is Peter's second time at, um, with uh, Blake's seven novelization of mine uh, when he was editing the fan novelizations back in the day, I just, as a teeny tiny fanboy, thought, well, I'd like to do one of those. And I sent him a complete novelization of Orbit from season four, beginning to end, <laughs> an enormous manuscript. And he never replied. And, and now he's like, <laughs> never got published. Oh, it's probably awful. But now he's like, oh, I wonder if I could find that somewhere in my attic. But I thought, well, here we are. He's finally, he's finally been my editor on a Blake 7 novelization. That's why I did it, I say to him. That, that's why I wanted to do this to achieve justice how would you describe the adapting process i presume it's different for each of the writers but what's your view on it i gave them a broad brief that we wanted it to be in their style because you commission them because of who they are we didn't want to sort of stamp some sort of artificial consistency on them but also to be in the spirit of the, the tv series and given that they're all blake seven enthusiasts that's what they managed to do they had access where we had them to the original scripts that Terry Nation had written and camera scripts and rehearsal scripts and um, um, studio scripts and so on. So they had a variety of things to work from and they were able to choose from that what they thought might be an interesting and compelling new um, novelization of those stories. What do you feel are some of the most exciting things that have come out of this in terms of the, the different um, narrative elements that perhaps weren't in the TV series? There's two kinds of things which are in the books that weren't in the original TV series. Some of it is uh, stuff which was in the original scripts, uh, where it fitted in to uh, a version that people would recognise as being based on the TV series. And the other is what the authors each bring to writing some of the backstory for uh, expanding it into more of a, a novelization. Because these aren't just he said, she said transcripts of the original stories. Each of the authors brings something of their own interest and experience to it. So, uh, for example, um, something which is in the original scripts, which wasn't televised, but that fits nicely into the, um, the novel, is in um, Una McCormack's book, for uh, for bounty, there's a conversation that the, um, the the villain has with President Sarkov when they're on the Liberator together, which was in the original script that didn't make it to the final recording, but seemed to f to fit in nicely and illuminate the story. Um, and uh, whereas something else in Una's book is she's provided a bit more background to the unfortunate Marriott's uh, family, which um, fits into the story rather nicely, but wasn't in the original scripts. Uh, whereas when we found that a couple of the scripts had got, they were so uh, original that they had some of the cast, not the cast, some of them had 
some of the characters that didn't make the final TV series. So the original Blake Seven were seven people and they didn't have Callie in the team. They rather downplayed the role of Avon, but they had um, characters like Klein and Selman and Arco. So they get rescued from Cygnus Alpha and they appear in the web and in uh, Seek, Locate, Destroy. And so we weren't able to put those elements into the books because it would have been completely unlike the original TV series. Um, on a general point, what is it that you love so much about uh, Blake 7 and how does this add to it for you? What I like about Blake 7 is it made a virtue of the limitations of BBC studio drama at the time. Famously, it was a commission by the BBC to replace uh, the police procedural series, Softly Softly Task Force. And as a result, it had the same budget for cast, which is okay, um, for costumes, okay. So, you know, it's different to make these costumes uh, in, in space rather than a, a set of police uniforms. For location filming, again, easy to pop out to the high street to do location filming, slightly more difficult if you're trying to um, magic up some alien planet. It had the same budget for special effects. So in um, uh, Softly Softly Task Force, you know, the most um, problematic thing you might have is maybe a gun going off. Whereas in Blake 7, you've got spaceships and you've got uh, explosions and all sorts of stuff. So they made a virtue of the fact that um, it, um, they didn't have much money. And that meant they really had to concentrate on the characterization of the plots. And that's really what sings in that original series in particular, I think. So it's nice with these books to reflect that because, you know, all of the special effects and the costumes, you know, they're in, they're in your head. Um, you can concentrate on the plotting and the, uh, the, the characterization and the dialogue. So that's what I think comes through very much in these books. And do you think these books work, will work for people who uh, maybe don't know Blake Seven or maybe even think they don't like it? Do you think this will be something that will pull them in? There's, there's, yeah, that's a great question. There's a balance to strike with these books in um, appealing to Blake Seven fans who obviously know and love the original series and also people who might pick these things up who've never seen the, the series before. Um because it's starting with that very first episode and running through to the end of the first series, you can read them all um, and discover Blake 7 for yourself. One of the things I found fascinating about Doctor Who fandom was there's a whole crowd of people who got into Doctor Who by reading the Virgin New Adventures. Um, and when I first heard this, I thought, how extraordinary. People who came to the series not knowing Doctor Who on the telly but reading these books because they find them interesting. So I'm, I'm wondering whether there might be a, uh, an audience for these books uh, for people who've never come across Blake Seven before, who might just fancy the fact that, you know, it's a book by Paul Cornell or Mark Blatt or Jackie. Um, can I say that again? Cool. So there's possibly an audience of people who've never seen Blake Seven before, but might be interested in reading these books because they're written by Paul Cornell or Mark Platt or Jack Rayner or Una McCormack and so on. Very nice. Anything you'd like to add? I think that sort of sums it all up. Beautifully. Sure. Are, they, are these the kinds of answers you're looking for? They're absolutely spot on. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, it's been a joy working on these books because the people I've asked to do them are people whose writing I've admired in the past and who I know love Blake Seven. So uh, for me, it's been a joy to get involved in them. I have to say the temptation was to write one myself, but I think there are people who are uh, better qualified for, for these and uh, being involved in 
all 14 of these stories, including the first story of the second series of Blake's End that James Goss has novelized for the first time, uh, has been fantastic. Maybe I should also say, something we've tried to do with these books is to make them into uh, individual books themselves. So uh, combining the two stories together into a novel rather than just chopping it in two halves. And I think that's worked very well with each of the books in the styles of each of the authors. The books look terrific, by the way. I think they're beautifully put together and uh, the box set is gorgeous as a, as a collectible item. One of the differences with the books compared to the novelizations which were done back in the 1970s is that uh, they, they crammed, you know, four or five or so stories into each of those two original books. And with these, there's space for the stories to breathe. So not only is a story like Deliverance um, now written up in full as a novelization and expanded rather than the short version it got in the 1970s, but there are stories like um, Bounty, for example, or The Web or Breakdown that have never been novelized uh, before. So it's nice to bring the full set together for the first time ever. Big finish for the love of stories.